Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. If you've got your Bibles, open it. We're going to continue in the book of Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Last time I was sharing about Jesus' final visit to a synagogue, his last church visit, his last preaching engagement. And I was talking about this encounter with this woman that had been crippled for years. She's bent double. She is una- she's been unable to straighten up for the past 18 years. And Jesus spots her. I like to imagine it's as Jesus rose to his feet as he began to speak that he spots her for the first time. And before he begins his talk, before he's cracked open the scriptures, he brings healing and freedom and restoration. And then worship and rejoicing breaks out. And I just love it. But what's really frustrating and annoying is when you find out something about the passage you've just shared on after you've preached it. Like, there's nothing more annoying. I was sharing with a friend about what I preached on and how I really just love this kind of imagery of this lady bent double and, and like being like straightened up in the power of God. And he was like, yeah, but do you see how incredible it is? And I was like, what? You better say my point or else. And he was like, there's something incredible in Scripture. There's something beautiful in the Gospels, right, where, where time and time again, people will seek out Jesus to be healed. And when they find him, they'll cry out and they'll shout out his name or they'll fall at his feet. There's people in pursuit of Jesus, but there are also some occasions in the scriptures, in the gospel, where this is reversed, where Jesus takes the initiative, where Jesus steps out and steps into a situation without being asked, without being pursued. Jesus goes on the healing offensive. Jesus pursues the sick to bring healing. And there's something similar, similar about each of those occasions. They all happen on the Sabbath, when it's forbidden, when it's not okay. The first example is in Matthew chapter 12. He sees a guy with a shriveled hand and to emphasize his point about healing on the Sabbath, he says to the man, stretch out your hand. The guy didn't come for healing, but Jesus goes in pursuit of him. And so he stretched out his hand and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. And that same story is repeated in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. And then in Mark 1, you get this story of Jesus instigating the healing of a demon-possessed man, again on the Sabbath. And that famous story from John, chapter 5, the pool of Bethesda, a guy who's been an invalid for the past 38 years. And Jesus goes up to him and says, do you want to be healed? I just love it that Jesus goes in pursuit of healing the broken, the wounded, those who are hampered and restricted and and repressed and caught up in something. And he wants to bring freedom. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus wants to bring true Sabbath, freedom and release and restoration and healing. True rest is found in Jesus. And I just love that kind of thing. Every other day of the week, Jesus will welcome people to him. But on a Sunday, well, Saturday, sorry, back in the day, he went in pursuit of others. I've just been in awe of Jesus. He does what he needs to do on the day of rest. And the religious leaders flipping hate it. 
Like they hate that he kind of appears to be breaking the rules, but he's bringing heaven's rules in. And so when we go back to Luke chapter 13, we still find Jesus in the same synagogue and he follows up that miracle where he brought the kingdom rules to bear with some incredible teaching about the kingdom. He's revealed the kingdom with some mighty fine deeds. Now he'll reveal the kingdom with some mighty fine words. And we find those in, from verse 18. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Is it, like a mustard, uh, it is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Let's just remember what our lens is as we're going through this gospel. It's all about the upside down kingdom. The way of the kingdom of God is not like the way of the world. Jesus flips the rules of the world upside down. He's totally bringing a countercultural kingdom to bear. And the way that Jesus does that in, that in this instance is, first of all, he includes everybody in his teaching. This is one of the most remarkable things about Jesus. One of the things I love more than any, he welcomes all. His message has got to be heard and received by everybody. And so what, what Luke does beautiful, beautifully is that he takes stories and he pairs them, male and female. Often his stories will come in twos. Something for the blokes, something for the ladies. And here we see it beautifully again. Jesus is going to give something about um, uh, something about the, the mustard seed for the blokes, and the women are going to get this story about the yeast, because he wants everybody to understand. He wants the unschooled ordinary, the male and the female, the slave and the free, in Christ, the kingdom is for each of them. And so I just love it. He's a revolutionary God and he wants to make sure his kingdom is understood and heard by all. And I love that Jesus kicks off his kind of preachy bit with a question to himself. Like, if I was leading a church, I used to lead a church as part of an Eden team. If I ever, if I ever like brought a rhetorical question, I was in trouble. Because as, as soon as I said it, someone I know is going to jump on in. I remember saying something like, why would Jesus do that? And then there'd be a hand in the air. Like, and then you feel obliged to like, okay, uh, I will, I'll inquire. And then you've run the gauntlet then. Like anything's going to come out. You're like, why, why did Jesus do that? And then you just like anything could come back. You're going to get something completely left field. And before I know it, I'm trying to like just slightly address the random theology that you have. And then before we know it, everyone's down this rabbit hole and there's no way back. If I'd said something like, what is the kingdom of God like? Someone would have shouted, fluffy. And I'd be like, Fluffy, uh, what do you mean by that? And then they'll be like, then there's chocolate everywhere, and then, then like there's fluffy candy floss or something. Or, or, or it'd be like, what is the kingdom of God like? And someone's like, Old Trafford. <laughs> and, uh, and that's because Andy used to come to my church. Um, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> you know, people, people just, bizarre things would be thrown at me, but Jesus runs the gauntlet. He offers himself a rhetorical question and 
Maybe he gets away with it because people are fixated on him. He's just brought healing to a woman who's been crippled for 18 years. They've seen her stand up straight. They've begun to worship. Now they want to hear the words of the guy who's just brought healing. What shall I compare it to? Another rhetorical question. But he pushes on and he says, it's like a mustard seed. We read scriptures like this. I don't know when you hear the word mustard seed, whether you're like, yeah, I know all about the mustard seed. Or whether you're like, I don't really care about mustard seeds. There's no relevance to my life. I don't even like mustard. I don't know what that is. Like, do you go for the French mustard or do you go for the American stuff that goes in hot dogs? Maybe you're just like, what the heck? I just don't care. Move on, Sam. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. But if you're a religious leader, there's a few in the room. But if you're back in the day, oh, no, 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 I'm not going there. I'm not going there. If you're a religious leader and you hear Jesus and he stands up to tell you about the kingdom of God and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, Shall what I, uh, to what shall I compare the kingdom? And you say, a mustard seed. You'd be like, fuming. Like, that is not a great answer. The kingdom of God, the massive, the mighty, all, you know, all creating, like, king of the universe, the one who creates the heavens and the earth, the giver of life, the sustainer of all things, and you compare his kingdom to a incy-wincy, teeny-weeny, don't finish the sentence, mustard seed, super small, microscopic, insignificant seed. Like the religious leaders would be jumping up to like, you better finish this well because that is not a great start. If you want to come up with an analogy, Jesus, the sentence should be, the kingdom of God is like a mighty army. The kingdom of God is like a sharp sword in the hands of a warrior. You know, that's what they want to hear right now. The kingdom of God is like a tank, a German-made leopard 2A7. The kingdom of God is like a nuclear warhead, the Russian-made Tsar bomber. King of all bombs, RDS-220, also known as Big Ivan. The kingdom of God... It's primed and ready. The kingdom of God is a charging stallion. The kingdom of God is a roaring lion. The kingdom of God is a swooping eagle. The kingdom of God is, insert, powerful animal name. That's what they want to hear, but nope. The kingdom of God is a tiny little seed. 700 of them are needed to make just one gram. They are small. They are hard. They are pretty much dead. The kingdom of God is like this seed, like a sesame seed that gets stuck in your teeth. But the kingdom of God, this kingdom is an upside down kingdom, remember? This kingdom is like a seed, Jesus continued, and a man took the seed and planted it in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. But this seed is an amazing seed. This kingdom seed is small, but it's packed with potential. When a man places it and plants it in its garden, it grows into a mighty tree. The upside down kingdom, the kingdom of God was going to be planted with just 12 ordinary men. 
some insignificant, unschooled and ordinary blokes. And when Jesus plants them in the world, they will create something that will change the world forever. They grow to reveal a kingdom that kind of represents not a seed anymore, but this mighty bush, this mighty tree. You know what? It's a tree that grows to about 15 to 20 feet. I wish I could tell you it was the largest tree in the world. I wish Jesus had gone with the great sequoia. But he goes with a mustard tree. But its growth is disproportionately big. For a tiny, tiny seed, it grows into something quite marvellous. And the branches are like are, are big and they hang low and, and birds perch in them. And that is referring, you know what it says, and, and birds sit in its, in its branches. You know, that's referring to the nations of the world. So big is the kingdom of God that the nations of the world rest in its branches. It's quite incredible what is represented in his teaching. The upside down kingdom of God advances with such speed and such size that the nations perch in its branches. It's actually quite amazing. So small and so insignificant, but yet it grows to take over the world. So why did Jesus choose that seed of all seeds. Why does he choose the mustard seed? Well, beyond the seed being a well-known seed, there was loads of proverbs at the time around the, the size of the mustard seed. And so Jesus is bringing kind of a local understanding of something tiny, and he's talking about how it, it, it is, it's something that will grow. And this seed grows real quick. That's why he chose it. That's why he didn't go for the great sequoia. He went for the mustard seed because it grows like wildfire. It grows incredibly quickly and so will the upside down kingdom of God and the, the mustard tree you know what I love it thrives in barren places it thrives in dry places and so will the upside down kingdom of God it's made and designed to be placed in the place of hardship and difficulty it will thrive and grow there and and its low branches provide shade for those who are struggling those who are tired those who are weary it is incredible so will the upside-down kingdom of God be a refuge and a shelter for the, uh, for the downtrodden and the weary. The mustard tree grows wild. It's considered almost like a weed. You know, if you try to import those seeds out of Israel into another country, have you ever seen that kind, those kind of programs about, um, I can't remember, uh, uh, nothing to declare? Have you seen those? You know, if you ever bring seeds in, if you ever brought these in, they spread like wildfire. They'll quickly take over, and so will the kingdom of God. It will quickly multiply across the world. And this is where it overlaps with that second parable, that second story, the one for the ladies, the yeast and the dough. Again, he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Again, Jesus describes uh, a, a way in which uh, the, the kingdom in such a way that would have absolutely infuriated the leaders, the local leaders. Yeast and leaven is never used to describe anything positive. Like it's a bad thing. Even Jesus uses it to describe the teaching of the Pharisees. It's like yeast, it's like leaven. It just ruins everything. You know, like it goes in there and it spoils the batch. It's thrown out of the house each year at Passover. It's supposed to be something that isn't something that's considered to be good or holy because effectively it's like mold. 
It's like a rotting mix of flour and water. All those hipsters in the room who love making sourdough, you know what you do. You create a starter, which is effectively like natural yeasts and bacteria and gunk and like fermenting and rotting stuff. And you mix it into your flour and you, and you, and you, and you create a dough that then suddenly this kind of chemical reaction, I'm totally making this all up, this chemical reaction happens and... and, and Carbon dioxide is released that blows the kind of loaf up. Not blow, you know, I won't go into more details. I'm well out of my depth here. But what he's saying is the kingdom of God is like this kind of rot, this, this yeast. And they'll be like, what on earth are you talking about? How dare you describe the kingdom of God in this way? But Jesus is saying, you know what? When you put that in the world, when you, when you mix that into the world, this thing is going to cause a kind of reaction that the world has never seen. It's going to change the very nature of the world forever. You can't undo the chemical reaction that happens when you mix yeast into the, into the dough. The kingdom of God is yeast. It's small, it's insignificant like the mustard seed, full of potential like the mustard seed. Its impact is disproportionate like the mustard seed. Small amounts change everything and it quickly spreads. Like the mustard seed, like the mustard tree, this thing quickly spreads and so too will the kingdom of God. 60 pounds of flour, that's the world. And this small group of yeasty disciples who are going to be mixed into the dough of the world are going to change it forever. This unschooled, ordinary bunch of blokes will do something in the world that will mean it will never be the same. Who would ever have imagined that this was God's strategy for kingdom growth? Who would have thought this was a good idea? With all the resources of heaven, imagine what he could have done to bring the kingdom to bear. But yet he goes and starts his kingdom with the death of the king. And sends some blokes out, not the fittest and the finest, but an ordinary set of guys. And he sends them out to advance his kingdom. But with that kingdom in mind... With that upside down kingdom described as small and insignificant, but yet deeply full of potential and ready to change everything. Why are we looking for a different kind of kingdom now? Why is it that we look for leaders that look a certain way? Why is it that we have expectations that things are going to be a certain kind of way? Are you expecting a kingdom that looks like the kingdom of God, that's subversive, that's under the radar but growing rapidly? Or are you expecting something that looks more like a man-made kingdom? Make sure that you are looking, not for the extraordinary, the exceptional, the remarkable or the impressive, but look out for God's kingdom. It'll look humble. It'll look simple, ordinary and common. Maybe it just looks faithful. People who just keep going underneath the surface. You know, this kind of kingdom doesn't look cool. It doesn't look trendy. It doesn't particularly look attractive. But it's God's kingdom. And it's coming. And it's advancing. And it's on the way. And it's already here. And it's growing like wildfire. You might not see it in the West because we're looking for a wrong kind of kingdom. But you look in the nations of the world where there's hard places, where there's difficulty, where there's barren and dry places. It's spreading like wildfire. This kingdom was designed for those places. So don't get consumed on a kingdom that looks Western. That is never the kingdom that Jesus intended. He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose 
chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. But our temptation is to ask for the opposite. God, send your kingdom here. It needs to look strong. God, send your kingdom here. It needs to look wise. But no, his kingdom is upside down. It's not full of the powerful and the impressive. It's not full of the exceptional and the wise. He uses the opposite things to bring his kingdom to bear. God loves small things. God loves small things and small people and small places and small moments. The the, the prophet Zechariah said, don't despise the day of small things. And I just want to finish by saying, don't despise the small things that God is doing in your life. Can you see the small stuff that is happening in you and around you? We crave the big stuff. We crave the mountaintop moments. We crave the, the, the kind of grand uh, moments of our life. But I want you to draw your attention again to God and his desire for his kingdom, which is found more often in the small and in the humble. We pray for things like the big things in life. Lord, give me a wife or a husband or a baby or a job or a house or a car or a calling, or, or miracles, but yet God says, look for me. Look for my kingdom in the small, in the minuscule, in the microscopic, and there you'll find something incredible that will grow fast, will grow rapid, will grow wild, will grow in difficult and hard circumstances. Slow down today. Pay attention. How many people would have been passed off as not acceptable in the kingdom of God. How many people would have looked at the disciples and thought, no chance is this thing going to last? Would you have picked them? I'm not sure I would have picked them. There's nothing glamorous or exciting about small things and small people and small places. But we've got to look for the mustard seed moments, the small and insignificant, the hidden and the obscure We've got to draw our attention away from the big and the bold and the beautiful and draw our attention, our kingdom eyes again to identify God's kingdom, God's upside down kingdom found in the small things, in the hard places. Do that today with your life. Don't just look for those grand moments of change, but know that God today, if a mustard seed is found within you, is multiplying If yeast today is found within you, it's doing its work. It's doing its job. Trust God. It might sometimes feel slow. It might sometimes feel insignificant. But God is working within you. His kingdom is advancing. Can you see it in yourself? And can you see it in others? Sometimes it's easier to spot it in other people. And today, you know what? If you can see the kingdom of God at work in people's lives, tell them. There's nothing more encouraging when someone says, I really see that God is working in you. You might not be able to see it right now. You might find life hard. You might think this is difficult, but God is at work in you. You are not the same as you were before. And so we're going to pray that God would just give us new eyesight. Eyes that are kind of drawn in to see the small things again. Drawn in to see things from a kingdom perspective. Lord, I often pray, Lord, give me eyes that see things the way that you see them. And I'm expecting suddenly everything to be like multicolored and and three-dimensional, like normal. But, you know, know, to look a bit like, wow, I didn't realize all this. But actually, I think sometimes God, when we ask that we might see things the way he sees us, shows us the kingdom in places we would have never looked. 
And that's what we're going to pray right now. Lord, we thank you that your kingdom is advancing. We thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is growing. We thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is taking over. That your rule and reign will one day cover the entire world. That the nations of the world will sit within the kingdom. But Lord, while we wait, we pray you draw our attention to all that you're doing. God, where we're expecting you to do the big, the massive and the awesome. Lord, draw our attention to where you're at work in the ordinary and the everyday. In the smaller and in the insignificant. Help us to spot the things of the kingdom. Help us to be people of the mustard and of the yeast. That our lives would permeate the places that we're planted or the places that we're put into. Lord, may we see change come in the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in. Lord, use us to bring forth your kingdom, but help us to see it, we pray. Amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.